Hey friends, happy Wednesday and welcome to the Drive Through Moms podcast. Each episode, we're talking to a mom or sharing something to encourage moms to see God's faithfulness. I can't wait for you to hear who's next. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the Drive Through Moms podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have Beth Dutchman. Is that how you say it, Beth? Duchman. Duchman. Okay. So sorry. That's okay. Beth, Beth is the founder of On Campus Moms, which is a foundation that helps college students with food insecurities and a whole lot more that we're going to get into. Um, and she is lovingly known on campus as Miss D. So welcome, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So Beth runs this foundation at a private university, which is separate entity from the school, and it provides assistance to college students. So uh, Beth, I actually found you on a, so this, my son goes to Baylor, your son goes to Baylor. Um, and on one of the Baylor parent pages, I just saw that there somebody posted, oh my goodness, this is such a great foundation. There was an article written by the school paper about the foundation and all the things that you do. And I had never heard of it. And so I was pretty excited to learn more. Um, and so I gave you a call. I was like, oh my goodness, I want to hear all about what you're doing. Um, and so that's kind of how all this started. Um, but before we get into talking about the specifics of the foundation, there's always a backstory. So what brought you, you know, to where you are? So tell us a little bit about your life before coming to Texas and maybe what shaped you based on what God has led you to do now with on-campus moms. Well, I, th- I think I can reflect back to my childhood. I grew up in a very low socioeconomic uh, family. Uh, my mother worked in a sewing factory. My father was a watchmaker. At many times, she was a sole bread provider. And there were times growing up where we didn't have food to eat. I, I know exactly how it feels to go to bed hungry. I can relate to periods of not having electricity. Uh, at one point in time, I believe I was in the third grade, I was so embarrassed. We would have story time, and all the students would come over to the carpet. We'd take our shoes off so the teacher could tell a story. However, I never took my shoes off because I only owned one pair of socks, and my feet smelled so bad because those socks were worn every single day. So through that upbringing and instability, I have somewhat a a inside look at how a student feels uh, when they are without, you know, and then, of course, moving forth later in life, uh, my mother remarried and stability came to play. And then I did not actually decide what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was in my mid-20s. And uh, I had to work full-time. I was standing on my own feet as an adult. It took me four years to get that two-year degree, but I did it. And uh, I had a sense of accomplishment because I knew without that college degree, I was not going to be able to lift myself up from not only where I came from, but in my current situation. And then, of course, I progressed on in my 30s, and I met a wonderful man. He was a, He's also a Baylor graduate, commissioned to the Air Force post-graduation. And through his military service, we were frequently moved. Uh, different duty changes, different assignments. Sometimes he was out of the country. Um, I know what it's like to be in a strange place without any help without any family close by. I know what it's like to, to parent as a single parent due to constant deployments. Um, so I've, I've had kind of a mixed bag of experiences throughout my life that I feel like have 
geared me up mentally and emotionally to be more in, in tune with the needs of others and uh, and also being part of a military family. You learn your one big sense of community, one big community. And every single one of us came from different walks of life. So it was always a learning process, but also in that big sense of community. You were all working toward the same mission. And I'm no different right. than any parent with a student at any college. The only difference is I'm local to this university and because we are all on the same mission, trying to get our young adults through college and moving forth to the next phase of life. Right. And I love that. I was going to bring that up because I know that was one thing that you said earlier was that you learned so many things about being in the military, but you learned that we all belong to something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's a huge thing to learn that it's not, you know, about us, but we're here for a reason. And God's gifted us in different ways, strengthened us in different ways. And do we have our eyes open um, to the things that are around us? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we all go through many, many experiences in life and why sometimes those experiences aren't good experiences. I feel like those experiences are building blocks that at some right. point in time in our life, we can reflect back on that, what we learned from it and how we navigated through that so that we can better serve ourselves as, as well as the needs of others. Right. And, you know, you're talking about not being, you know, for families that have kids somewhere that they're not being local. So we had three kids go to school, obviously, with one of ours being at Baylor, who graduates next month. Yeah, we have, you know, he's only two hours away from home, but we have had one that was six hours away. And even in Texas, um, you know, we're still in Texas, that six hours is still six hours. And, um, you know, you've had moments where, um you know, they're varying degrees of need, right? But there may be something that's super cute that happens right in the moment. You know, we had one that told her to car out in the middle of nowhere that we needed to get her help. Um, you know, the school that she went to had a kind of a road warrior network just to help kids on the side of the road as they got broken down. Um, but I know and I understand when you've got kids that are away from you and you can't physically be there to help with whatever the situation is, you know, being able to depend on somebody else, a, that you trust. Um, and, and in this instance, I think because um, of your faith background and where all this stems from, you know, knowing that you have the same heart for the Lord um, and being able to just, you know, call. And, and like I said, I'm seeing this on Facebook, I've seen so many comments of moms um, that commented about how much you've helped um, the kids that they have, at Baylor that just were in need. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how you got into it. So you were in the Carolinas and then you moved back to Texas or you moved to Texas with your, your husband. How did this, um, how did this whole thing start? Well, I, I met my husband, uh, my home state is North Carolina when he was stationed at Pope Air Force Base. And uh, so after I, I met him at about the 10 year mark in his career, we moved to many locations here in the country. But, um, you know, our son was in the middle of fourth grade and uh, I had told my husband all along, you know, it's when he gets of a certain age, I know you love the Air Force. I know you love serving your country, but he needs to have the same opportunity you had growing up and plant some roots. So our uh, my husband spent his last year overseas and he made a conscious decision to go ahead and retire. And his family is from Waco. 
Uh, so we moved to Waco back in 2000. He retired January 1st of 2011. And we planted roots here in Waco. So we've been here uh almost, well, 12 years. So that brought us back to Texas. And uh, Texas is a beautiful state. It is very vast uh, and many, yes, very vast. But, um, you know, it it brought us back to a location that our son could grow up around family. That was very important to me because I didn't have that opportunity. I attended five schools between first and third grade due to instability. I didn't have that opportunity to make friends. Uh, you know, my brother was my constant. He was my best friend and is still considered one of my very best friends. So it was very important for us to allow Sam to have the same uh youth and adolescent environment that my husband had, whereas my husband grew up in the same house with the same group of friends, and he is still lifelong friends with many of those students from high school. And that's just very important to me for our son to have. So I've enjoyed being back in Texas. Um, there's so much opportunity here, especially for our young people. And uh, it's, it's just a wonderful state to be in. So then I'm assuming, so he, you know, grew up in Waco, basically went through school there and then started going to Baylor. Um, how did you first start seeing these needs that kind of triggered that, you know, maybe the memories of your own life growing up um, and your instability? How did you get um, or what happened to kind of trigger all that to where you're like, okay, something needs to be done? Well, you know, reflecting back on my upbringing as well as military, you know, I'm, I'm a, accustomed to being some, a part of something that's bigger than I am. Um, when our son committed to Baylor in 2019 in the spring, once he committed, I joined the uh, Facebook group that's attached to the university and uh, just, you know, can just kind of throw it out there. Hey, you know, I'm local. If I can ever help you in any way, please reach out. And people did. They really started reaching out, especially uh, over the course of the summer. There were some international parents. Uh, hey, how do we get uh, bedding for our student? He can only take two suitcases. So, you know what? Here's my dress. You're more than welcome to ship it to me. Um, we'll deliver it to your student when he gets on campus. And so it basically started out with parents reaching out like that. And then I had a mother reach out and say, hey, my son's been in the country for two weeks. We don't have stable internet, so I don't have the opportunity to try and reach out to him. You know, can you check on him? And so I obtained the student's information and went out to the uh, the dorm, the specific dorm, and, and I found that the student was fine and indicated to the student, hey, your mom's worried about you. You know, reach out to her. She's having some internet issues. And uh, so it kind of started from there. And uh, it just really, when COVID came into play in the spring of 2020, uh, the students were on spring break. Spring break was extended a week. And then the university switched to online learning. And I have to tell you, that was a huge undertaking. And I, I can't be, I can't say enough good things about how they spun in a different direction so quickly. And uh, and then, of course, it came into play. You know, these students went on spring break. They didn't take their books. They didn't take their clothes. You know, the university, oh, my goodness. They went out. 
hired someone to go out and video in the rooms, packed up what students needed, shipped it to them. But then they're left. There was left uh, moving out. Um, so move outs were scheduled a little bit later than typically. And there were parents due to the economic downturn, you know, they were reaching out and say, hey, you know what? We just can't afford to put our son or daughter on an airplane to come to Waco just to move out. Um, I said, well, hey, I'll do it for you. So the university allowed uh, students or parents to sign up for a proxy mover. So I uh, accepted that challenge and went out and packed up numerous dorm rooms. Clean them. I can't imagine. Oh my gosh! Because we talked a lot about that when it first happened. Now our son was not in the dorms at the time; um, he was in an apartment by then. But we thought all those kids, because he was on a mission trip um, over spring break, like you said, and then came back and we're like, "Oh my goodness!" We just kept thinking all those kids who can't get into their dorms, or it was scheduled, and then once everything was moved out, which you know, from the sound of it, that that was taken care of. But then you've got you know the real move out of coordinating times and, you know, people that had lost their jobs or been laid off for different reasons um, or just the different quarantines weren't allowed to work. I mean, I work part-time and I mean, there were a couple of times when I was out for at least six weeks. So from a money perspective, I think, you know, I don't know what the, and I'm sure you probably know more about the numbers, whether they're international or just students from out of state. I mean, I would be not be surprised to know that the out of state alone, um, is expensive or is um, the percentages are high for the kids that go that are out of state. So for them to fly back or drive back and take off work and those kinds of things I could see could be expensive. So, I mean, how many did you do? How many kids do you think you moved out? I moved out 17. Oh my gosh. It, it was, you know what? It, it just, uh, it just took a lot of organization. Uh, at that point in time, my health wasn't as strong as what it is now. Um, and, you know, predominantly it was U.S. students because spring break does not allow for enough time for an international student to go back to their country. International students usually take advantage, if they can afford it, of travel during the Christmas break and, of course, during the summer. Right. Right. So, you know, so it was... It was we're, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, it was, it was one of those things, you know, I, we're... I'm an equal opportunity helper, uh, regardless of the need. I'm going to reach out there. But I think the biggest eye-opener for me, I think anyone with a college student knows if you walk into a dorm room, you have no idea what is clean and what is dirty. You just pick it up and pack <laughs> it up. And uh, uh, yeah. so, you know, yeah, about a month out before the students were going to return to campus, I just started unboxing these goods and uh, because, you know, they needed clean bedding, uh, the bedding clean because I didn't have the time to wash that before it was packed as well as their clothes. You know, and even when I was uh, undressing the beds for packing, there were students who didn't even have mattress covers. Um you know, the quilted top ones that afford a little bit of barrier between the mattress and the and the fitted sheet. You know, those mattresses are very thick vinyl encased. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh, how miserable it is to lay yeah, with just it makes a you sweaty. I mean, let, yes, yes. It makes you sweaty, too. I know the kids are always like, eh. Yeah, yeah. The, the more you can get, you know, mo the international students, very few of those had a 
two or three or four inch mattress topper, you know, the gel, cooling gel. And so I just started unboxing things and washing them. And, and I was so sad. I mean, there were students who only had one towel. There were students with clothing um, that maybe once have been white, was no longer white. Um, students that had clothing with holes in it. And I also noticed when I was packing things up, some of the food that was in the dorm room, I clearly knew that it came out of the, the store, which is the food pantry. And so, you know, I just, um, I started cataloging the needs and reached out to family and friends, say, you know what, this is the situation. Do you have extra this? Do you have this size clothes? Just asking for friends to reach into their linen closets or uh, maybe something their their child had outgrown. And it was just overwhelming love that, that um, served the needs of those students. And, uh, you know, I can't be more thankful for that group of friends and family who did provide initially when I, I learned about what the needs was and the awareness. And um, so what was, were some of those needs? Sounds like obviously, you know, you had clothing needs and, and food needs. Um, so what? how has that kind of morphed from just how you saw it in the unpacking stage and getting things ready for the kids to come back to, well, this is really a bigger need on campus than, you know, we realize, um, you know, and then how did you step into what you were going to do next and then, you know, actually form a foundation? Well, you know, essentially, like I said, we started out, we had about eight students that we checked on on a regular basis and then those numbers kept growing they grow considerably after covid and uh right now we're we're at a little bit over 60 um i'll have to run the numbers again because i've picked up a couple of students this week um you know it's there are many students especially from an international standpoint, I had a young man that I went down to Houston to pick up from the airport one time. He got delayed in Dubai due to a flood. And the only way we could get him back into the country was to reroute him through Turkey and then to Houston. I had initially dropped him off at Dallas-Fort Worth. So uh, on the ride back to campus, we stopped to have uh, something to eat. And he sat across from me and he said, you know, he said, Mrs. D, I don't know how I'll ever be able to repay you. I have nothing. I said, well, you don't owe me anything. I said, my only hope for you is that when you graduate and you be become financially stable and are productive member of society, if you see someone else who's struggling or has a need, that you give them a hand up and pay it forward. Um, you know, we get recommendations or information about students in so many ways we may get uh, a call from a parent of a roommate we may be alerted about a student from another student I had a student um, two semesters ago he reached out to me he was already in our circle he said Mrs. D he said I saw this student he's not looking good and he's lost weight I said okay I said, you're in class with him, right? He said, yeah. I said, well, you know what? After class, why don't you uh, stop and say, hey, I'm headed over to the dining hall. Won't you come eat with me? I've got some guest passes I need to use. So they did. And uh, in during that lunch conversation, this young man was able to learn that this student only had a 65 meal plan, which is 65 meals per semester with a few dining dollars. 
And I did the calculation, and even with the dining dollars, that only calculated out to 88 meals for the semester. There's over 112 days per semester. So that did not even afford that student one meal per day. So we started um, offering supplemental food to students who either had a limited dining plans or no meal plan at all. And, you know, when I say a limited dining plan, that could even be a student who has a five-day dining plan. Freshmen are required to have either five or seven days. And uh, parents and students alike, that's the first thing they will cut back on when it comes to choosing between tuition and books and rent they will eliminate or cut back on that food. So at this juncture in the in the semester, usually at about week eight or week nine, the weekend meals that those five-day plan students have been consuming have been paid for with the utilization of dining dollars. At this point in time, those dining dollars have been depleted out. And in, in many cases, the family's not in a position to replenish it. So we provide supplemental funding where we make direct deposits to that student's account specifically for dining dollars only. It cannot be um, removed from that account until that student exits the university or withdraws. So uh, we know where the funding is going. We have the uh, students that we provide that method of funding for send us a screenshot every Sunday and we make sure there's ample amount of money in there for them to eat for the next weekend, a minimum of four meals, which basically is about $50 a week. Some students we buy groceries for. Uh, the students will go on the uh, grocery store website and uh, put things into the cart, send us a screenshot in which we will go on to the same website, enter those same items again, check out, pay for it, pick it up, and deliver it. Some students, you know, we provide airport transportation. Some students, we may get a call from the student or parent. Hey, my son or daughter, they're on the side of the road. They have a flat tire and they don't have a spare. Uh, We've had students that are on the side of the road where their car has ceased working. We go out, see if we can diagnose the problem. I'm grateful that I was raised uh, somewhat of a tomboy. I can work my way around a motor, at least the (laughs) basics as far as checking fluids, checking air in the tires, changing out a battery, um, you know, transmission fluid. I cannot do that stuff, and I worked at a car dealership for five years. Oh, I tell you, <laughs> I have, I can, I've become the master at reattaching shop, bumpers. I really have uh, become the master of reattaching bumpers. The, some of the oh students, gosh. you know, those curbs and speed bumps in some of the apartment complexes, uh, you know, bumpers half hanging off. We got to fix that. Just, I've learned zip ties do wonders when it comes to that. But, oh, you yeah. know, I, I may get a call from a parent. You know, my daughter's. At Baylor Scott and White in the ER, you know, I'm out of state. I'm not going to get there till tomorrow or I'm five oh, yeah. hours we've, away. We've had those. Yeah, we've had those situations where we had, in fact, my son was in, had to, needed to go to the ER and he had, fortunately, one of his six roommates. We'd go back and talk about um, not knowing things are clean or not, walking in their house. Uh, good times makes me, I don't know. I'm like, how do boys live like this? Um, but Watching, you know, knowing that he was going to the ER and physically really 
didn't have the ability to drive himself, um, was running a fever, you know, was he going to be able to answer questions or really pay attention? And so if, if we hadn't had been able to get hold of one of his roommates to take him and stay and be with him, at least until we could get there. And we're fortunate we live two hours away. Um, so we could get there, um, you know, but he at least had somebody that could take him. So it's definitely something that, you know, the need is huge. Now, I know one thing, going back to the food conversations, I want to talk about the pantry a little bit um, on campus. Um, is that you guys run that pantry, right? No, no, that is university run. It's okay. handled through a case, which is the Center for Academic Success and Engagement. Okay. Okay. Um, we do. Uh, I, you know, I have uh, communicated with their staff members, you know, about certain issues. You know, I, I received a request for meal assistance oh, about a month ago, and th- this is the type of request that I really I have to be honest with you. I lose sleep over it. Um, young lady transferred into Baylor uh, this past spring, or actually this semester, uh, because she attended community college in the fall. Uh, because it wasn't financially doable for the family at that time. So as a transfer student, she was not um, held to the living on campus, nor was she held to a meal plan um, requirement. So she's in a sublet apartment, has zero meal plan, and uh, she had been surviving on one meal a day, basically from the pantry of pasta and rice. The caveat is this young lady is a type 1 diabetic, with an insulin mm. pump. Rice and pasta is not on the menu of a type 1 diabetic, not as the mainstay. Right, right. So I connect, I believe that uh, request came in in the wee hours of uh, Sunday morning. I connected with that student first thing Monday morning. I asked her, I said, have you eaten today? And she said, no, ma'am. I said, well, I will meet you at Penland Hall at uh, 1130. We'll have lunch. Let's talk about this issue. And we did. And uh I met with the cashier's office uh, to speak about what's the best method of us because prior to adding dining dollars and prior to becoming a 501c3, we just applied funds to the student's account. Well, if there is a bank account attached to that account and there's a positive balance, there's a capability of withdrawing the surplus, which could be used or whatever the student desired. And when you are handling the donations that people have provided for a specific purpose, it is our responsibility to be a good steward of those resources and make sure they go where they're intended. So I working with the cashier's office, they instructed on how the student could go in and add us as an authorized user. So, um, I immediately uh, added enough funding to her account so that I, this was, I believe, the week before spring break to give me ample time to speak with uh, the university officials about this. And, uh, you know, sure. had a great meeting with them, brought the need to her attention um, or to their attention. There was more than one person there. And uh, we are, you know, we as a foundation are working with the uh pantry on campus uh we helped facilitate a movement of 2200 pounds of food several weeks ago and we will be providing that service again on the 14th uh, to restock those shelves so you know anything we can do to serve the store on campus we are willing to do because the very students that we serve 
benefit from what they provide. Absolutely. And, uh, but as far as, you know, um, I'm going to be working hopefully here with one of the sororities to put together. um, We will provide these sugar-free items and put together um, dietary specific packages that can be uh, donated to the store for those with uh, insulin or diabetes, as well as those with gluten-free, you know, gluten allergies. So that is something that's in the works. No, I think that's great. And I think the interesting thing in all of this, and a friend of mine and I were having this conversation the other day because we've both done it. Um, you've met somebody that's whose kid is going to a private school and made the comment, oh gosh, my kid could never go there because I just couldn't afford it. Well, a lot of us can't afford it just because our kids, you know, you've got these kids at this, um, you know, expensive private school does not mean that they have all the money in the world. You know, these kids get there because they've worked hard and they've had scholarships. If my son wouldn't be there if it weren't for the scholarships that he has. Um, And he's also going to come out with some student loans. So it's not like, you know, just because these kids go to um, a private institution that I guess that's, that was maybe the surprising thing, even for me was to hear that there was such, you know, a, still a level of food scarcity. I mean, a very, very basic need um, at a large university of a private nature um, where you just, maybe you just automatically assume, oh, well, they go to Baylor or they go to TCU or SMU or whatever. um, That that doesn't mean there aren't those issues or those holes and gaps that need to be filled. Yeah. You know, that's a common perception. Um, you know, there are students from all work, all walks of life over there on campus um, and from many different socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, I've got one student in my circle who is out of the state of Mississippi. Uh, you know, she comes from a family of four with a gross income of 25000 But at the same time, wow. you know, you have an international student who is from a, a financially well-appointed family in their country. What people don't realize is the exchange rate. The exchange rate can cripple an international family, that dollar conversion. Um, So, you know, need doesn't necessarily mean that the student is destitute. You know, we serve whatever the the need may be. We may go out and um, sit with a student in the ER that on a foundational level, we have to provide that ER copay. But at the same time, uh, you know, we're we're our funding comes from donations. We serve right. the need regardless of the family's ability to donate, because the next student we serve may come from a well-appointed family who may, by their kindness in their heart, donate a, a significant amount that levels everything out. We've never found any place in our hearts to charge anyone for anything because I, I, I can't justify charging someone for something that we have been led by through our faith. So, uh, right. you know, it, and like I said, you're right. The perception is that if your students at, uh, uh, you know, a private institution or, or a prestigious uh, institution like Baylor, that everyone can afford to go there. There are literally families hanging on by a threat. 
Um, wow. You know, there are students right now. Uh, I'm helping, you know, I help students with financial aid. I'm not an authority on financial aid, but many students uh, are from those families where they are the first one in their generation to go to college. They're from international families who don't even have access. Some countries can't even access a .gov website because of internet restrictions. So those students need help in completion of the FAFSA. You know, some, as a matter of fact, right. today is, I call it Financial Aid Friday. Uh, at one point in time when I just had a handful of students to help, I would just call, you know, here and there. But now that I have a laundry list, I call it Financial Aid Friday because it's more, it's a time saving to just call and have that one whole time and just go through each one, one by one to make sure all the documentation is in place that that is required to get those packages in place because, you know, not all countries issue W-2s. Not all countries have the same tax year, but we have just as many students um, that we help from the U.S., we probably have two thirds more out of the out of our country versus international, but uh, there is a perception out there. But the true fact is, there are many students on that campus from low socioeconomic backgrounds who got there because of their hard work and got they're there on scholarship or they're there on Pell Grant or they've got student loans. Right. And then there are students from what I call middle of the road. They're from families. Those families have two parents or, or even a single parent who is employed and, and has a good income. But the FAFSA doesn't take into account that you have a mortgage to pay or groceries to buy or a car payment. And that estimated family contribution, I know ours is like $23,000. We don't have an extra $23,000 laying around. And those middle-of-the-road families are families they make just enough where they can't get any additional help or, you know, not enough to stay the course. Right, right. And it's a so struggle. When it comes, yeah. So when it comes to how you fundraise or how you have donations and then the types of things that you're able to offer. So let's talk about that for a minute. It's so like where you, where your donations come from, how do you get them in, in order to disseminate them to the kiddos in need. And then you have, I saw on the website, you have different scholarships available and things that you can, kids can apply for from like academics to book tuition assistance, um, you know, airport transportation, things like that. So how does, how does that work for somebody that wants to look at potentially, helping maybe monetarily and then we can talk about some other volunteer ways right um you know our our funding derives from a couple of avenues we have a when the circle of bears just got uh larger than we could comfortably if you will say uh depend on family and friends uh my sister-in-law Lori duchman burris she and i we offer bait goods uh through our other website on campusmom.com where families or parents can order a cookie bag. Uh, we've got them at an extremely affordable price, so almost any family can afford to send something to their student. And we uh, raise funding through that, and all of that funding goes directly to food every dime. Um, we did a Halloween fundraiser 
this past fall, which was a cookie basket, that specific fundraiser went to covering the tuition of a student whose family would not be able to make their tuition down payment for the spring semester because they didn't get their crop money until January. So to keep that student enrolled, that tuition down payment had to be made by the 31st of December. So we do specific fundraisers uh, for specific things. Um, All of our scholarships, um, you know, right now we're doing – you know, up until this year or the past three or three years or so, we've been storing the contents of students who could not afford storage or were from international countries um, and had no means to get things stored at, in our home. And it's just uh, the amount of goods has become overwhelmed. So this year we're moving storage out of our house into a commercial space and uh yeah i was wondering about that so you've been housing these these uh what is it called the door that's not the dorm drop you have something called the dorm drop but this is just kids that need or that is no the dorm drop storage program is new uh, that program what we're doing all the students that we have previously been storing their goods in our home we have now uh, we have a commercial space close to campus, and the leftover space we have offered to other families for a donation. So that is one way we are raising funds to go toward our scholarships. Okay, and so for those kids that those kids that the that need extra space just to leave their things for the next school year. Right. You know, basically students, when they move out, they either take their things home or they use another commercial provider. Um, Not everyone can use some of the other, uh, afford some of the other commercial providers. So we basically, we know how much space we need for our circle of bears. And the leftover space is what we have offered to other people for a donation uh, to, and and we will provide the boxes and move those donated uh, space the donations that covered that space to those individuals to store their their bears goods over the summer so that's one way we fundraised this year um we do offer meals on campus during some of the breaks we did uh thanksgiving i think we served 177 meals uh spring break was i'm not sure what the total was but on each day it was 36 or 40 meals a day. Um, and those meals are free of charge. Don't have any, yeah, because you got those kids that don't have anywhere to go or they can't get home for money reasons. Or like you said, the international students um, don't go home or maybe the dorms are closed or certain cafeterias are closed. There's only a couple open during those break times. So I, yeah, I yes, love typically, that you guys yeah. Offer that. Yeah, typically through the breaks, you know, they uh they do uh limit the dining hall hours and things may be geared more toward getting food out of the uh retail eateries over the student union building. But if you don't have a meal plan and you don't have money and you don't have dining dollars, 
that that eliminates your ability uh, to eat. Right. So we and it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. And and even some of those students that we deliver food to, it's not that the family can't afford to feed the student. Uh, sometimes, like I said, we don't charge for anything we do. Sometimes families will donate money to the foundation because and and ask for meal delivery to occur to their student as well. So that that's also a means of raising funds. You know, like I said, families will donate if we're serving their student and they have the means. But regardless to whether or not uh, donations come in for feeding students, we still feed the students. Um, right. We do have a, a Adopt-A-Bear program um, where we uh, post the needs of students and uh, individuals can say, hey, I want to adopt this bear and uh some bears want to have contact with the adopting family, and that's verbal or through social media. We do not encourage any face-to-face meetings. And if we do, uh-huh. if they, that does occur, you know, that's kind of out of our hands. These are our students who are over 18 years of age. and But we do encourage that any meeting transpire on campus. Um, we've had very good luck with that. Uh, we serve as a bridge between the adopting family and the student. If the student wants to remain anonymous, uh, we do have the student send back a thank you note and uh, only release the first name of the student, no other information uh, other than the needs of the student. And, uh, you know, we have the Bear Pals program where individuals can just send a card. They can send it to our address, and we'll pass it on to a student that we know is going through a difficult time. Um, You know, we talk to students on a regular basis. We have a standing uh, dinner that my family hosts at one of the dining halls every Wednesday night. And uh, we get there at six o'clock, but it's kind of a floating event. Students float in and float out for whatever their time has. And, uh, you know, there's all classes of students there, both, both us, uh, you know, economic wise, as well as uh, there may be freshmen, sophomores, seniors, all of them there. And, you know, the freshmen, they'll look for support or ask questions with upperclassmen, you know, just in conversation, I don't discuss needs with students at the table in the presence of others. But a lot of times sure. in conversation, things come out. And so, well, hey, you know, uh, are you going home for spring break? And that's just say, no, I'm staying behind. You know, we just couldn't afford the ticket. Or, uh, you know, things come out in conversation. You don't have to necessarily ask the question. Or pick the student for an answer or a reply. It comes out in conversation many times. Or sometimes I'll see a social media post from a parent. And uh, when I see a social media post for a parent, I ask and say about the food pantry. I'm immediately alerted that that student's in need. Right, parent would right. be asking that question if the student was okay. So uh, I will reach out. I will provide the first thing we do when we get a reach out is make sure that parent or that student is uh, in tune or know about the programs that are available at the university level. Um, like I said, you know, n- not everyone is internet savvy. And it's a lot of information to take in when your student comes to a university. We make sure that sure. students and parents are aware of the programs that are offered. And then we come in and bridge the gap if that if that need is not filled. 
Sure. Well, and I love, you know, you, you have on, on your website is what your goal is for, uh, for the foundation is your goal is quite simplistic. Our plight is to provide bears who are lacking in any area that may negatively impact impact their ability to thrive, to belong, to feel confident while attending college. It's our desire to ensure that no bear is left behind. So what I love about the whole concept of this, you know, from, you know, obviously, you know, physical donations and monetary donations and connecting it with your Amazon smiles. And, you know, there's opportunities for people to help, you know, obviously, you know, um, I think you've got some on your website listed with people that could help whether they're in person or virtually. But the, the thing that strikes me about this the most, and, and you're welcome to talk about this if that if you want to, but it's just that this could be duplicated. This is something that could be done in the same, you know, way with your basis being your faith, your basis being your hope in the Lord. And obviously, uh, Jesus example, when he was here, um, on loving others that are in need and seeing what those needs are to widows and orphans and, and being able to reach out and fill, fill that void. Something tangibly is something that we can do. Um, so I don't know if that's something you guys have really talked about or ventured into, but man, I just see college towns across the country that, you know, and I'm sure there's some um, being done, but your website's very good. You've got lots of ways for, for kids to, to tap into resources that are available. Um, so I don't know if that's something you guys have looked at in terms of, um, you know, how this can be duplicated. Yeah. You know, we're, uh, we kind of went into this, you know, like I said, I've been serving for quite a few years before we actually put a name on it. Um, like I said, most of the kids just call me Mrs. D and uh, because I have such a long last name. But, um, you know, there's a need all over this country in every college town, I guarantee it. You know, I've had parents reach out to me from other areas in Texas. say, oh, I'd love to do this. And uh we do have some contacts in which we are going to reach out to in the near future. Somewhat similar to like a franchise, but not like a commercial franchise where you have to pay money right. to do this, money to do that. Basically, uh, provide the outline, the guidance, um, use our experiences thus far to help other individuals who have the heart and the drive and the faith to do something like this in their town. Um, you know, even parents, Baylor parents right now, you know, one lady she said, you know, I feel like I need to do this. It, I believe she's in Oregon, where we're at Oregon State. I said, well, you know what? If you want to do that, you call me and, and I'll help you through it. And uh, there's just need everywhere. And the thing of it is, I think a lot of times students – feel uncomfortable reaching out from the beginning. Um, yeah. Uh, even to their own parents because they are they already know the struggle the parents going through to keep them at Baylor and they will do without before asking for more or help or food and that sort of thing. But when the Lariat uh, did an article, I don't know, a month or so ago, the movement started where students were no longer embarrassed they started reaching yeah. out for help and uh and you know it, it also goes back to even with the international students there are many cultures in which students have conveyed to me that um 
when they say, you know, I can't repay you, uh, they'll say, you know, in my country, if someone does something for you, you're indebted to them until that debt's repaid. Um, but I could see something, someone taking what we do as a model and uh, right. spreading a lot of love, a lot of paying it forward. Because the truth of the fact is the students who are on the college campuses right now in our country, I'm 55 years old. I know in my mind that in 20 years, those students are going to be our future leaders and our future decision makers. Exactly. And I, through the foundation, as well as my family, we are trying to foster, not only feel a need, but trying to foster a more kinder, a more kinder, gentler society than where we are right now. Right. Right. That's how I right. want to spend I, my golden think, years. In yeah, a better exactly. society. And I think that, yeah, especially, like you said, those are the ones that are going to be um, making decisions that will affect our golden years for sure, right? And so Absolutely. even if we're, even if this isn't something that you do on a college campus, it, it, it can be done anywhere where you are, you know, what are some needs that you see around you and acting on it, stepping into, um, you know, whatever the need is and how can you play, how can you play a part in that? Because, you know, God works in a lot of ways to tug your heart at things that you see. And then sometimes you see it, have that, Oh man. And then you move on. Um, That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, I tell them, I tell them, see something, say something. Just like the young man who was losing weight. If that student hadn't saw it and he hadn't have said something to me, that student may may be not in such good shape. Uh, So, you know, we, like I said, we get uh, alerted to different situations by many ways. And uh, a lot of students are very in tune with their peers. But I, I, like I said, you know, I want to live in a kinder, more kind and more gentle society. And, you know, in many ways, you know, we all have loved ones. We all have people who have touched us in our lives some way. I don't think, I I personally, I can speak for myself, and I'm sure if people were honest and, and reflected back on their lives, at some point in time, someone has helped them and give them a hand up some point in time. Now, it may not have been something that was just life-changing or something memorable or or maybe uh, it might have just been once. Not so, It was just a moment in time uh, that, fled, that has fled their mind. But I think if people reflect back, um, someone along their way at some point in time in their lives, along their journey, has given them a hand up. Right. And, uh, well, you know, and I, I, like I said, I, like I said, I love everything about this. And, um, as a mom with ha- having had three kids in college, um, and knowing that, you know, you don't, you don't know everything that's going on around them. They don't often, you know, tell you everything. Your context's not the same, obviously, as it was when they were home. Um, you know, like, and it's supposed to be that way, right? Um, and 
showing them and being an example, not only to the kids on campus that have a need, but like you said, kids that see a need um, and teaching, you know, those in your own sphere of influence where you are is such a huge thing that people can get from this and that I can get from this is it's not just about, you know, what the need is, but do you see the need? Are you saying something about the need and are you stepping into to do something if it's if it's within your power and obviously if it's something that God lays on your heart so um just thank you so much for being on and kind of sharing about everything that's going on 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 the Baylor campus with what you're doing and the kids that you're uh, reaching out to and um, I'll link everything on the webs on the show notes so um, the ocmfoundation.org and then uh, the OCM Foundation um, on Facebook, right? We've got both of those that we'll put in the show notes. Oh, great. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, one other thing uh, about scholarships, you know, many institutions require a huge endowment to get a scholarship in someone's name. If you have someone who has been part of your life, someone who has uh, just, you know what? just been so integral to your success maybe it's a family member maybe it's somebody you love maybe it was a mentor um, we do have the capabilities of offering a scholarship in that person's name with whatever amount you would like to to dedicate to that um, you know the more support we can get through the creation of scholarships the more students we can serve um, so I, I just wanted to mention that um you know, even though maybe a family could only do contribute $250 for a scholarship in someone's name, believe it or not, $250 goes a long way with the student who's having to purchase books out of their pocket on that campus. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, that's great. I'm glad you brought that up because I know there were different uh, memorial scholarships I show, saw listed on the website. So, um, and that's a great way to, like you said, pay it forward to the next uh, generation to be able to offer funds to somebody and remember somebody that played a big part in your life at the same time. So, um, we'll have all that listed in the show notes. Uh, but thank you, Beth, so much for being on today. It was a joy, and I love getting to learn more about what's going on there and how God's um, just led you through the things that you've experienced um, and then be able to share those same deep felt desires with the people around you because of things that you've seen there. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, anyone out there listening, if I can ever help you in any way, all you've got to do is send that email. Okay. Thank you, Beth, so much. Thanks, guys, for listening to the Drive Them Moms podcast. And until next time, happy Wednesday. Hey, thanks for listening. It's pretty amazing to see God put people in your path and then hear their story of what He's doing in them in their sphere of influence, because that's different for everybody. So that's my challenge to you and myself. What is God asking us to do and what are we doing about it? He's called us to share what He's done in our own lives with the people around us. And I think that's pretty cool. Check out our review page on Apple Podcasts and you can find it in my link in my bio on Instagram at Drive Through Moms. But until next time, happy Wednesday. Thank you.